0: If you would open with your, your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at the entire chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 21. We're going to read that in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 21. It's on page 953 in the Pew Bible. Surprise, but everyone looked up. Disciple making is actually a very simple process. It really is. The problem with disciple making is that just like evangelism and probably everything else in the Christian life is that we tend to overcomplicate things. As we've already seen, a disciple is simply a follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple is one who receives the wisdom of God and imparts that wisdom to others with a spirit and a posture of humility and humbleness. So when it comes to making disciples, I think in many respects, we, the church, Are our own worst enemies. Why do we make disciple making so complicated? I think there are a few reasons, but I think the chief reason, the main reason, whether this is intentional in our thinking or not, is that we complicate disciple making out of unbelief. What do I mean by that? We don't believe the gospel as we should. We don't believe the same power that rose Christ from the grave is living in us. We don't really believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We don't really believe that Jesus has promised us his presence to be with us to the very end of the age. We don't believe that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the spirit living inside of each one of us. We don't really believe that Jesus truly commanded us to go and make disciples. We don't believe that the Christian life, part of that discipleship is mandatory. This is not an optional. So, how does that unbelief unfold in our lives? We make a multitude of excuses I don't really have enough training. What if I don't have all the answers? What if I say something wrong? Maybe I'll get in God's way. I just need one more discipleship course. I need to memorize a few more of verses in the Romans road, and then I'll be good. Maybe we lack confidence. Maybe we have a false definition of what disciple, a disciple is. Maybe we truly believe that the job of disciple making is the pastors or the church leaders or at the very least not mine. Maybe we believe that disciple making is a job of only the spiritually mature and that well I'm just not mature enough to make disciples. Regardless we list out these countless excuses of why we do not obey Jesus, and I want to be clear here: our lack of discipleship is disobedience to our Lord. Our lack of discipleship is disobedience to Christ. John Miller, who was a pastor in Jenkintown area, he says this when he's on commenting on Jesus, where he says, "Go and make disciples." Miller writes this. Jesus is not proposing an elective course of action, an option for the evangelistically gifted. He is telling each of us what is our first duty. It is to disciple all nations. And he continues, Since the king has spoken, let that sink in, the king has spoken, It should be clear that he expects all of us to obey his will without reservations or delay. But it should also be clear, Miller says, that the majority of local American congregations are in practice saying no to his will. They do so by ignoring it. Are we as a church saying no to God's will? Are we as individuals saying no to God's will? Are we saying no to making disciples? Are we ignoring the command and commission of our Lord Jesus Christ to His church? That's a question that we need to wrestle with, each and every one of us, as a church, corporately, as people, individually. Are we making disciples. See, here's the thing. Anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is what? A disciple. Anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is a disciple. And what is the key ingredient of being a disciple? Teaching others to observe and obey all that Jesus commanded. Disciples do what? They make other disciples. Disciples. As a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter who you are, your background, your training, your lack of training, your education, your lack of education, you, if you follow Jesus Christ, have everything you need to make disciples. And you know what that is? You have the Word and you have the power of Christ's presence you have the word and you have the power you don't need an eight week discipleship class you don't need an intensive scripture memory program you don't need a masters of divinity now there's nothing wrong with all of those things they're helpful tools they're good tools but they are not necessary tools All you need as a disciple of Christ to make other disciples is the word and the spirit. And that's what we all have. If you're truly a disciple, you have both. Look at, consider the early disciples. I love this story. Only a few of them were really educated. Peter and John, they were the uneducated ones. So Peter and John at one point in Acts 4 stand before the Sanhedrin. Those are the educated ones. It would be like me walking down to Penn University and say, hey guys, I want to talk. They're standing before the Sanhedrin and they share the gospel in Acts 4. And Luke tells us this. When they, the Sanhedrin, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, Ordinary men, they were astonished. Astonished. Educated men. Astonished at these uneducated men. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That is power in weakness. These ordinary men, the only thing that set them apart is that they had been with Jesus. Grace Chapel, the key to making disciples is to be just that. Ordinary men, women, and children who have been with Jesus. This is how we make disciples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the entire chapter, Paul goes into detail how he, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, pursued ministry and made disciples. It's a long chapter, but let's read God's holy word together. Follow along with me in 1 Corinthians 4. I'll read the entire chapter. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? This morning, I want to focus on two things from this passage. With one simple prayer. The prayer is this Lord, give us leaders to imitate and transform all of us into leaders worth imitating. Lord, give us leaders to imitate and transfer, transform us into leaders worth imitating. So the two points first is that Paul highlights the cost of leadership. Leadership is a high and hard calling, but it's all made worthwhile because of the second point. Leaders are spiritual parents. Leaders are spiritual parents to those in the faith. This is how we make disciples as a family. So leaders equip others who in turn equip others, and on and on it goes. So again, as we look at the cost of leadership and leaders as spiritual parents, our prayer this morning... Lord, give us leaders to imitate and transform us into leaders worth imitating. Let's begin by looking at the cost of leadership. Let me start by saying this caveat. When I'm referring to leadership this morning, I'm thinking broadly, very broadly. Most of us are leaders to some degree, right? Some of us are leaders in the church, Some of us are leaders in the home. Some of us are leaders in the school. You'll think of the the one child who rises to the front of the pack. He's a leader. Some of us are leaders in our family. Some of us as siblings may be the leader in that group. This leader, for the sake of this, is anyone who has followers, and I'm not talking about on Facebook. Like, real followers. Now, here's the thing why we're talking about leaders, because anyone who makes a disciple is what? A leader. If you are making a disciple, if you are discipling, then there is someone who is following you. Okay, so really, in, in that respect, as broadly as I'm thinking, each and every one of us should be a leader. Because we're making Disciples. Leadership is a high calling, but as I said, disciple-making is simple, but yet there's a paradox here of the, the Christian life. It's often full of these paradoxes that seem to make you scratch your head. Le- discipleship and leadership are simple, but at the same time, it's hard. And you know why it's hard? We're at war. Discipleship and leading and making disciples is hard because we are at war. We are at war within ourselves, and we are at war against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. See, leading a disciple-maker is hard because of the battle against what we could call the unholy trinity, the flesh, the world, and Satan. Disciple-making is hard work. Leading as a disciple-maker is costly, it's expensive, it's hard. Leadership is hard, leading as a disciple maker is hard because leadership is servanthood. This is why leadership is costly. Leadership in God's upside-down kingdom is servanthood. Look at verse 1. How does Paul want the Corinthians to understand his ministry? Verse 1. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Disciple makers, leaders in the church are to be servants. We are to follow the pattern of Paul and of Christ, to regard ourselves as servants of Christ and servants of all. The second aspect of why leadership is so hard is because leadership is stewardship. We're to steward God's word, the mysteries that we have been entrusted with, the good news of the gospel. Look at verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithful to what? What has God entrusted us with? The mysteries of his word. Stewards must be faithful disciples who make other disciples. Why? Why are we to be faithful stewards? Because as stewards, we will be held accountable. I've never had the chance to house sit. And after I tell this, no one's ever going to give me the chance. But imagine you say, "Hey, pastor, I'd like you to house sit me." You're a pastor, right? You're trustworthy. And then I invite the entire church over Sunday while you're away to watch an Eagles game at your house. And as they've been doing sort of lately, we'll see how they do today, the Eagles lose. The church riots. Your house is in flames, destroyed. Who's to blame? Me. Why? Why? Who did you give the keys to? Me. You said, Pastor Will, you can be the steward of my house. I tr- I'm entrusting you with the keys to my house. Don't invite anyone over to watch the Eagles game from church because I know they'll burn it down. That is what we are entrusted with so much more. The good news of the gospel. And we are held accountable, Paul says, Just as an entire side note, if we are entrusted with this gospel, what is the best way to safeguard it? Share it with as many people as we can. Don't hide it under a bush, but let your light shine. Guard and protect the gospel by sharing it. By sharing it with others. But stewards will be judged for their stewardship. The Lord judges leaders. How terrifying is that? Every disciple you have made or every disciple you failed to make, there will be, in a sense, a reckoning. There is judgment. Look at verse 3. He says, It's a very small thing to be judged by you or any human court. Who cares what other people think? What does God think? And Paul says, I will be judged by the Lord. It is the Lord who judges. Leaders who seek to make other disciples will be held accountable to the Lord. He is the one who judges. He has given us this wonderful, this beautiful, this powerful gospel. What are we doing with it? How are we stewarding it? We have been entrusted with it. Don't bury it. Invest Another aspect of leadership that is so difficult is because leadership, with every aspect of leadership, there are scars involved. There are always scars, particularly in verses, 19, nine, I'm sorry, nine to 12. Paul writes, "For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death." Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, we in disrepute. disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, we're homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. and When we revile, we bless. Persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still the scum of of the world, the refuse of all things. What Paul is saying is that leaders who make disciples, that's costly. Count the scars, sentenced to death, a spectacle to the world, fools for Christ's sake, weak, held in disrepute, hungry, thirsty, poorly dressed, Buffeted, homeless, laboring, working with their own hands, reviled, persecuted, slandered. We have become, and Paul says, are still the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. What Paul is saying is that there is a deep-seated cost to leadership. He knew it. Jesus knew it. Paul lived it. And Christ lived it. Do we know it? Are we living it? Let me tell you why the the scars of leadership are so important. The cost of leadership is so important because it is the scars of leadership that make leaders fit for imitation. It is the scars of leadership that make leaders fit for imitating. Jesus is our model here. He bore our sin. He was scarred for us. He is the chief servant who was scarred for us. Peter Lilback, the president of Westminster Seminary, in his book on leadership, he says this, true leadership is possible only when it's fashioned in the image of Christ. True leadership is possible only when it's fashioned in the image of Christ. So then the question we need to ask is, what does the image of Christ look like? Paul knew the cost of leadership because he followed in the footsteps of Christ. His leadership as a disciple maker was fashioned into the image of Christ. So what does that image look like? What does Jesus himself call us to? Mark 8. Verse 34, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I don't think most of us, myself included, really get what it means to follow Jesus. If we are as disciples, then this is our call. If anyone would come after me, I'm assuming you're all here, who those who believe, because you are following after Jesus. So what should we do then? We're following. What, where are we going? Where are we going when we follow Jesus? Have you ever stopped to consider where Jesus was going when he said this? Why does Jesus say, pick up your cross? Jesus picked his cross up. What did he do it for? Because he was going to die. So, what is Jesus saying? Take up your cross, deny yourself, come to die. Follow me, come to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who as some of you know was martyred under the, as he, because he stood up against Hitler, he wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says this, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ-suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. See, leadership Those who lead in disciple-making, it's costly. Making disciples costs. The Christian life costs. It requires servanthood. It requires stewardship. You will have scars. But what does Jesus call all of us disciple-makers to do? Come and die. Grace Chapel, it's time to pick up your crosses. Jesus is calling. But there's hope. That is hopeful in itself, even though it sounds hard. But there's hope. Leadership is costly. Disciple making is costly. But with that cost, there is great joy. The second point, the role of disciple making leaders is that of spiritual parents. I want to encourage us as a church to view this entire process of disciple-making through the lens of the family. The church is the family of God. Unfortunately, I don't think we really have a view of discipleship as parenting, as a family endeavor. Sometimes I wonder, I'm not talking about Grace Chapel per se, but the church in general, do we really have a biblical view of discipleship? We tend to view discipleship primarily through the lens of teacher and student, through the classroom, instead of through the lens of parent and child, family. So we set up the lectern, we arrange the desks, we teach a class, we offer a course, and that's it. Now don't get me wrong, ask my wife, I am an eternal student, (laughs) I will always be studying. There's nothing wrong with the classroom. But what I do want to tell you, we need to include the classroom. But we also need to get outside of the classroom. We need to move beyond in that sense. That's why I believe the image of a family as opposed to the image of a classroom is a much better picture of what disciple making is all about. Disciples are made within the framework of the family of faith. Discipleship is made in the framework of family. The church, the men and women and children are the family of God, once alienated from God, once his enemies, but because of God's love, sent his son, Jesus died on the cross so that all who would believe in him would be saved. And now, brothers and sisters, we are the adopted children of the King. We are family, sons. Daughters, children, we are adopted for life, brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the thing with family: we all have different roles. I am the father to my children, and as my kids know, I'd make a terrible mother. Sarah's potty training—we mentioned this in uh, the ABF this morning, Sunday school this morning. That's just no. Don't potty train. She is gifted uniquely in that regards. My kids, if it was left to me, would starve, as would I. I would probably be the first to go. We all have different roles. Some are parents, some are children. Look at verses 14 to 16. Paul writes to us, admonish them, as his what? Beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, Paul says, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So Paul became their father in Christ, the spiritual parent through the gospel. Then as a spiritual father, he admonishes them. He says, be imitators of me. Don't do just what I say, but what? Do what I do. Imitate me. Imitate. Imitation is in many respects the essence of discipleship. We impart the wisdom of God as spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers to our beloved children in Christ. With the hope that they in turn impart that wisdom to their spiritual children. This is how Paul made disciples. He was their spiritual father in Christ. Christ. So he sought to raise up his spiritual children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So Grace Chapel, let me end by asking you these questions. Who's your spiritual father or mother? And who is your spiritual son or spiritual daughter? Knowing the answer to these questions is the first part of becoming disciple-making leaders. Who has God brought into your life for you to become a spiritual parent to? Who has God used in your life as a spiritual father or mother? Who are you able to turn to and say, I urge you then be imitators of me? Grace Chapel, that's the question we need to begin asking. I urge you then Imitate me. Who are we going to tell that to? Let's go to the Lord for help. Father, give us spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers who understand the cost of leadership. Raise up men, women, and children who know what it means to deny themselves, to take up the cross, and to follow Jesus. Bring people into our lives, O oh God, that we know who have been with Jesus, and help us desire to imitate them, to follow them as they follow Christ. And Lord, conform us through the costly call of leadership to make us into your people, your people who are worth following May we be that spiritual father or spiritual mother to someone else. May we be able to say with humble confidence, I urge you then be imitators of me. Lord, we ask that you give us leaders to imitate. And Lord, make us into leaders worth imitating. In the glorious name of Christ, our King, we pray. Amen.